So it was in the days of the that the judges judged. That would be the pshat of, of what it probably means, right? Um, putting it in the historical context, right? And there was a there was a famine in the land. So that's the opening pasuk that sets the tone for what's going on in the book. Um, Chazal have a very famous thing. That's pretty common. Uh, that the uh, that the days that the judges were judged, meaning that the judges were bad, right? So uh, the judging of in the days of the judging of the judges, right? Not the judging of done by the judges, but the judge the judging done of the judges um, because they were being they were not doing the job, right? And uh, what, what in the Pasuk gives us very, very valuable information in this first Pasuk? We have very valuable information. There's a Ra'av. Right, there's a, right, a Ra'av. Now, means is not doing their ideal. Right, so we, you always have to look at the Tanakh through the lens of the Bachot and of the Torah. So whenever you hear that there's a Ra'av, that means that there's something wrong. It's not just something wrong that there's no food. That's also a problem, but that's not the, that's a symptom. It's not the disease, right? So we know, so that fits with what Chazal are saying, because they're saying that this is a time of a failure, failed leadership. That it was a time of failed leadership. And that's what And happens. therefore, there was, a, there was a time of hunger. So there's, there's a lack of hashkacha mm-hmm. over Am Yisrael, or a bad, or a negative hashkacha, you know, <laughs> meaning that there's either God, in, it doesn't, it's not really even important, but one way or another, the result is, the Ra'ab or Milchama, those are the things that usually means there is a... In the case of, in the case of, of, of Chana, it was being an Akara. Right. Because it says, Lo yevacha akara v'akara v'vemtecha. So, oh, if there's, a, if I'm, if there's, if there are people having fertility issues, that means that God is obviously not with us. Yeah, but that's in, on an individual level. Right. No. right, on a national Ra'ab, level, Ra'ab, Milchama, right. Would be or, yeah, those two things are usually the ones. Or pestilence. I mean, there are other things, but right. mainly, there could be disease, there could be other right. things. Right. Yeah. But definitely Ra'av is the most common one. And so that is setting the scene. In other words, Chazal are not just randomly throwing out there that Shefot HaShoftim means something bad. They're noticing that the, the book opening with a, with a famine is an indication of that this, the, the, the spiritual state of Am Yisrael is not good. Right. It's also easier for it and more obviously connected to Hashem because a Ra'av would be fixed by rain. It's nature. Yeah, it's based in nature. So it's like, like a pestilence. Right. Or something like that, yeah. So a, a man went from Beit Lechem Yehuda to live in the state Moab. Answers your question. Who? Well, was Boaz was Ibtan, right? Ibtan is Boaz. So, so what is the? Uh, what's the? He's mentioned in passing in one of the as one of the Shoftim in in the middle of the book. Any case, so this person leaves and he goes to live in state Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. We don't know his name yet, but right. and we don't know anything about this person yet. We're going to find out in a second, right? Where would we say Moab be? Well, it's Moab is to the east, east of, the of Israel. East of that um, It you know Moab is 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 you know has been traditionally was you know not a very friendly right. place to the Jews. This would kind of be like somebody during economic hardship in Israel moving to Iran. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, moving out, right. moving out of Syria. 
Like basically, like Santa moving, next moving to Jordan, I guess. Actually, it literally was moving to Jordan. Right. Yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. So they they moved they moved to right. Jordan, right? That's where they came in right. to come into. Yeah. They moved to Jordan, basically. So they moved to an enemy state right. and settled there. Now, is that a significant thing in and of itself? We don't know who these people are yet. Right. Right. Um, is it significant that somebody? What are the ways in which it could be significant that the person abandoned their people? Maybe this person is super principled and they said, because the Jewish people have deviated from the Derech Hashem, I just don't want anything to do with them and I'm going to go live in another place and do my own thing. That's one possibility. So charitable. I, it's actually not even true. I'm just making, I'm just totally, I'm, I'm just saying, looking at the, looking at what the possibilities are, right? The other possibility would be, things are not good for me here. I'm just going to go join the other team where things are going better because if you can't beat them, join them. That's another possibility. It also makes a difference who this person is. Is this person just a, a shmageki off the street that doesn't make a difference? Or a leader. Or is it somebody who it's actually noteworthy what choices they make? Okay? So these are all questions that we don't have answered from the first puzzle. But, uh, you know, should make us think. When you're entering into a book of Tanakh, you always have to start asking these questions. Like, what is the significance of the whole setting that's being given to me here? And looking at those details, a person leaves behind their, their nation because at a time when the nation has, is in spiritual and material decline. Right. We don't know which of the two things inspired the change. Sons. I mean, they're but, ready towards the... No, that's Boaz, not, oh. not, not this guy. Boaz is at time, not, not this guy. This guy is somebody else, the guy Elimelech. Right? So, V'shem ha'ish Elimelech, V'shem ishton Naomi, V'shem shenei banav, V'shlon v'chilion Efratim mibet lechem Yehuda, Without getting into the Ephraim thing, so they all came as a family. So the guy's name is Elimelech, his wife's name is Naomi, and he has two sons, Machdon and Chilion. And Ephratim, some people actually say, means important people, right? Uh, but, uh, or it just means coming from a certain place. But either way, the, um, they, now it's giving them names. And in, in, the wor- in, in the Midrashic world, and I think Rashi probably brings it, and I, I don't have uh, Tanakh with Rashi here or with Mepharshim, but if I did, I would tell you. Um, I'm pretty sure that you know, Rashi brings it, that the, uh, that the, um, that Elimach was an important person. It was like, the Gemara talks about it, the Midrash talks about it, and, and he didn't want to, and too many people were knocking on his door for uh, right. financial assistance. And they had letters with about their 14 children. And, and they, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't blame him. And he's like, look, I can't handle it anymore. And he, let, he just decided to leave. And, uh, and they didn't even have the hotel back then. Yeah. They just came to your door. If you're not going to give him, yeah. who are you going to give to? Yeah. So, so, so he ran away. So they say that he was trying to escape his responsibility. But think about it this way for a second. Assuming he is a leader, right? What he's not just a bit, in other words, he's yeah, you can look at it as a petty thing that he ran away because of the financial burden that's being placed on him by the, fi- by the crisis. But what else is he not doing? Mm, not helping with people. He's not helping the people in the way that actually is important, which is he's not trying to repair the underlying cause of the, of the problem, which is the fact that they're disconnected from God. Okay. Now, I don't know if he was able to do that or not. Rim. Not here. Other side of the country. That's usually is. Yeah, it's nice. yeah. mm-hmm. So, so um, he's not uh, he's not helping them in any way. Now, whether he's being criticized for his lack of being a spiritual help or uh, uh, or uh, or material help, we don't know that from the text. 
right? All we know is he decides to go live in another place. Vayihusham, and they settled there. That means that they didn't have like, oh, we're going for a short time, and then when they're when this passes, we're going to go back. It sounds like they were settled in in, in, in Moab, okay? Meaning they chose to assimilate. Now, what would you conclude from that? What's what, what's possible to conclude from that? What, what, what do we think about that? Rashi doesn't say anything about other matters. No, he doesn't bring that. That's, that's a known thing. Yeah. He does. You say he does? He does. Holding up the frat that he ran away. Oh, he's, yeah. Oh, right, yeah, he were Hashibutam because, right, because they were Hashubim. Efratim, he says Hashubim. Right, Hashubim. Okay, so the point is that that's. That means he's abdicating his responsibility for the people. He's becoming a Moabite by Yishusham. They settled in there. They assimilated into that culture. And they said, why should we be a part of a culture that can't afford us economic uh, comfort and stability and causes us economic strain, but didn't address, obviously, the underlying, uh, underlying problems uh, that were causing this economic crisis. They weren't interested. Let's say Elimar isn't interested in that. Eh? It's showing that they were only there when things were prosperous. They, they only cared for their prosperity. But they only enjoyed it when, it when the going was good. They're a fair weather friend. He's a fair weather friend of, of, of his people. So there's, so there's somewhat of a, uh, of a disloyalty in the, in the act of Eli. And it's not just that he, that he went off somewhere to hide. He went to like the enemy nation to settle and become... Is, is, is Moab viewed as the enemy nation? Or is yeah, it it's like they were always, during the during yeah. old time of Shoftim, they were like always, uh, <coughs> always in battling the Jews. So, uh... He's giving them in choices. Hmm? So Moab, Mitzrayim, where's he going to go? I'm not saying he had so many great places to go, but he definitely didn't stick it out with his people, and he definitely didn't try to help them solve the problem. Yeah, he abandoned them. And what happens? Vayamot Elimelech Ish Naomi. So Naomi is now alone with her two sons. So he dies. So that now obviously him dying is like again the consequence of his actions. And uh, there's an interesting. Uh, I remember reading Rav Meidan. I think wrote a book on roots. I read it many many years ago. So I'm, I could be misquoting, but I I remember him saying something about like that. It's like a kar- type of karet. Basically, he cut himself off from the people, and that's you know type of karet. He's cut off. He gets he's he's eliminated. Um, but it seems like Naomi and her two sons still have the uh, the potential to be some redeeming qualities here so far, because they have not died; they're still around. But by Nashim so that is the ultimate for them. That's the completion of the assimilation process, right? Seemingly, so they lived there ten years. Now, during these 10 years, they, now it's not clear, that, that could mean the entire period that they were in Moab, including the time the guys were married, or it could mean after they were married, they lived there 10 years. That's not clear. Either way, we know that they didn't have any kids with these women <coughs> during that time. And then they died. Right? Vayamutu gam shenehem machlon v'chilyon v'tishayir ha'isha mi shenehiladeha So now the woman is left. Now notice, what did Naomi not do? She did not remarry. She never laid down any roots in Moab. Mm-hmm. Right? She didn't really become, as far as we can see, a part of Moab in any, any particular way. Elimelech relocates his family to Moab. 
he dies. The sons marry Moabites, they die. In other words, each character is doing something that indicates that they are affiliating themselves, assimilating, identifying as Moabites as opposed to Yisraelim, and then they die. Naomi has not done any action to indicate that. She's a passive person so far in the story. Now she just has no no husband and no sons, which of course puts her at a distinct and you know disadvantage in the uh, biblical times as a woman without any male patron. <clears throat> but that's the she's now in Moab on her own. Now we don't really know what kind of a person Naomi is yet at this stage of the uh, of the story. <coughs> but what it turns out to be is that Naomi is a person, is one of those people who was in a Jewish mixed marriage. Now we all know people like that, where one of the members of the couple is very devoted to their Judaism, very into it, really very you know, passionate about it, and the other one is not. And a lot of times, the one who is passionate about Judaism has, still has to make compromises in order to accommodate the one who's not as passionate and not, not as committed. And so she went along with this relocation because, look, the husband is the breadwinner, the husband is the financial decision maker, especially in those days. There's no real, you don't really have freedom or independence of, uh, of motion and movement. So Hashubim in the Rashi's take would be they were rich, not they, they were wealthy. Were, yeah, I don't think that they were, they were I don't think necessarily that he was a spiritual leader. There's no indication of that, but he definitely didn't seek to bring about Meaning a wealthy person could have, who had proper yisodot in his understanding of Torah would have, could have, or proper values could have said, look, I'm going to fund a, a movement to, to educate these people so that we can do Teshuvah and we can, uh, we can uh, return to God and this will be, uh, fix the problem. I can use my wealth to do that. I don't have to be the teacher. I'll hire somebody, bring somebody who will educate the people using my money. He doesn't have to abandon them. So Elimelech wasn't interested in that. Naomi, it seems, from the ensuing choices that she makes, that she was. Even though she let her sons marry Moaviot. Vayis'ul lahem nashim Moaviot. It doesn't say she did it. Hmm. Right? It says that they did it for themselves. Vayis'ul lahem. They went and took for themselves Moabite wives. It doesn't necessarily mean that she was for it. So, I'm, you know, I, I've seen in my own career, many cases, I... I when I'm reading the story now, I'm thinking of so many cases that I knew of this in the past, and I'm sure you guys know many r- mixed marriages, you know, where the people are in different levels of interest and commitment in the Judaism. There's, there's nothing to do about it. There's no way to stop it. Yeah, there's nothing to do it. And, like, and I, I knew one family, I can remember them, where the wife was, she passed away, and so did the husband a long time ago, they were older, but in my community in Maryland, the wife was from a religious family, very spiritual, very religious, very kosher, very into Judaism, always coming to shul. Never met the husband once until he died and they had a shiva. Like, I never met him. The, the wife came to classes. She was into everything. What happened? Half their kids married non-Jews. Some of them, you know, half the kids did marry Jews. Half of the kids married non-Jews. Even the ones that married Jews, they were like, uh, not a hundred, you know, not Kashel Madrin. It was like, you know, it was, it, was, it was a complicated picture. But the point was, what power did she have to stop her sons when and marry an non-Jewish woman? Is there something to be said that they didn't marry the non-Jews until Elimelech had passed away? It could be. That could be. See, the one possib- that, that's a possibility. Or it could have just been that they weren't old enough and then they grew up and then they got married. I'm not sure. It doesn't seem like... Or it could be the consequence of their move to Moab made them marry non-Jews. 
Right, they were in an environment where that was, those were the girls that were around. And there were no Jewish girls in Moab. Well, meaning there's a possibility that obviously it's showing some kind of disconnect from the nation that, that he moved there, but at the same time, mm-hmm. in his head he had some sign, okay, we're going to move here, but we're not going to get married. But, but once it's the possible. father that's figure dies... So, and that's, that, there's a big machloket between the Mepharshim, between basically Rashi and the Midrashim on one side, and Ibn Ezra, Ralbag, and like the Pshat Mepharshim on the other side, about when... It's very interesting, actually. When did Ruth convert? So... According to the Midrash and the Rashi, she converted when she went with Naomi back to Israel. That was the conversion, right? Wherever you go, wherever you go, I'm going to go. My God, that's the conversion. According to the Ralbag and the uh, and and actually the Ibn Ezra, even he said no. Obviously, they must have had a pro forma conversion when they got married, and that's why when they have the breakup in a second. She says, return to your gods. Right? Um, Meaning that you only did this in order to marry my sons anyway, return to your gods. So you can imagine, and again, we're sort of, it's a little anachronistic because we're going from our own perspective. You can imagine that Elimelech died, the sons like these Moabite girls, and the white, and, and Naomi says, look, they have to be Jewish. You, you can only marry Jewish. Okay, they'll go through a process, whatever. This is, they're accepting to be Jewish. Okay, they're going to raise the kids Jewish. They're going to go to the mikveh, whatever they have to do. Sure, just like Shlomo Amelech. What, is the, what does the Rambam say about Shlomo Amelech? Don't think that Shlomo Amelech with this and, and that Shimshon married an actual non Jew. They went through a pro forma conversion for marriage. Okay, which is tofes, you know, it's, it's valid, but diavad, right? It's just not valid, the betin is not allowed, is not allowed to enable that. But it's not that the diavad is not valid. Really, right? So, uh, I know it's controversial to say that, but that's... Yeah, why is it so negative? Because it's discouraged, because it usually doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. 90, 90% of the time, if the marriage doesn't work out, forget it. And even if it does, the way, the way the kids are raised is very complicated. And there's, it's not... Probably I, I never... I rarely saw marriages like that where the... Sometimes I did see marriages like where the, convert, the spouse that converted actually was really committed and continued to be Jewish and was really <coughs> genuine, but very real. So I, I, I remember one couple that I knew. I had nothing to do with their with the, any of the conversion or anything. But I remember one one couple that I knew that had a situation like that, and they were married. And the wife the wife was a convert. And one day the wife goes to them and you know I really want to get a Christmas tree. They actually couldn't have children, so they adopted kids. And she said, I want to get a Christmas tree. What are you doing? You're Jewish. We're Jewish. We keep kosher. We do this, do that, you know. And she's like, I know, but I, I just have all these memories of my childhood, getting up at the tree and doing the presents, and I just can't, I can't, you know. And then they ended up getting divorced. <laughs> and, you know, he ended up remarrying a, a natural born Jew and having a Jewish family. But it was like a very, you know, that's what happens. It's not, it's not atypical. In any case, so you could <coughs> imagine a, a situation where Naomi said, look, Oh, no, no intermarriage, but yeah, they, have to, they have to convert, okay? Okay, they're not going to be, uh, uh, it's not going to be Kashila Mahadrin Badat's conversion. It'll be uh, Rabbanut of uh, 
some outskirts of the, some city. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rabbanut of Arad, I don't know. Rabbanut of... Uh, <laughs> of uh, 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 well, Tel The Rabbanut might be okay, but, you know, Rabbanut of uh, the uh, some outskirt city. Dimona. I don't want to say anything Dimona? more. Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, whoever. And then they, and you say... But as long as they're Jewish, it's that sort of thing. That, that's how the Ral Bag interprets it, and that's how the actually the Ibn Ezra, interestingly, even though he's so stickler for Pshat, he says no. Pshat is that they they wouldn't marry a non-Jew. They married a, uh, someone who was at least formally considered a Jew, and 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 then and then in which case the how question did, how was does, how does she what, allow her to go back? Right. So that so so the Ibn Ezra says that uh, that it was because. She basically said to her, "It wasn't really a genuine conversion anyway, because you never really uprooted yourself from your old culture." Just, so, just it's not, right? Was, so it was, you know. So you might as well just go back because it was never really, it was never really authentic anyway. And then Ruth really is authentic. That's the way that like the Ibn Ezra and the Ralbag seem to read the story. As the other possibility is that Ruth was willing to become Jewish and and, and Orpah was not. Not interesting. <laughs> you know. And so, uh, okay. So, so vatako mi vachalotea vatasho mi sde moav. So they started going back from sde moav. Kishama abis sde moav. Kifakad the shem et amol atet lemlachen. And notice that. What do we see for the first time in this pasuk? The name of Hashem. Kifakad Hashem et amol atet lemlachen. Now, what does that mean to you? What does that mean? That they had recognized that Hashem. They had recognized Hashem's hand in. There are of previous rab, and now that there was food. Well, there must have been some type of teshuvah, right? Meaning, the fact that Hashem pakad Hashem et amol means if there's no more rab, that means that, that, that there was a teshuvah happening, yeah. right? So that means that the now now if we're interpreting along the way that Naomi is a person was really a person of, of commitment to Torah all along, so. She wants to go back because now she knows that the Jewish people are on the right track. It's a place. It's, it's a place she wants to be. She can't have influence over the nation of Israel to bring it into a, a, pl- a position of teshuvah. But she also doesn't. So now that she hears that financially, which means also spiritually, the, 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 that the Jewish people have regained their health in both domains, she wants to go back there. Meaning, she her mind was, I'm only here because both physically and spiritually it's an impoverished place Israel and I won't be able to make it but as soon as the opera even though she's going to have to live poor she's going to have to live on welfare but she wants to live in Eretz Israel because she now knows that the leadership is a leadership of true leadership must be that they did Teshuvah mm-hmm. we're reading this Pasuk as it's making this comment from her perspective she's she heard meaning she might have just heard oh there's food now but now she that means which means that the people were right. oh if the people are zocheta, that means that they're in a much better place than they were when we left mm-hmm. also lose the fact that she didn't settle into into moth like Elimelech must have it's Vatashov they returned meaning she remembered where she had come from they still consider themselves as part of right well it's Hashem's people right right she's still identified she never lost her identification as every character in the story that formalizes their connection to Moabite culture dies. Right. Right? And Naomi never really gave up her she'ifa or, you know, her desire to go back to Israel. She just thought that it was 
both practically as well as spiritually not the place to be under the circumstances as she left them. But now that the circumstances have improved, means the relationship with, between God and the people is better, which is both, has both intellectual as well as physical implications. Now she wants to be a part of the Jewish people again. Even though she knows she's going to live in a very, very disadvantaged condition. She basically has to beg for uh, food or go collect uh, alms. But she'd rather do that than live in Moab. So that's the important thing. Up till now, she wasn't living like that. Up till now, seemingly she had a house. She had whatever she needed that she's leaving behind. She had potentially a comfortable uh, existence. So her daughters-in-law could have said to her, look, you have a comfortable existence here. You have a home. You have uh, whatever community she had around her. And well, for 10 years that she was living, it doesn't sound like she was suffering in Moab. It doesn't say she was poor or suffering in Moab. We seem, it seems like it was good. So she went based obviously on some kind of principle because she's going into a situation where she's going to be at great disadvantage. Right. right? Otherwise, they would have argued with her. If she was just going for saying, no, I want to go back home, they would say, why? Here you have what you need. You have probably in-laws, whatever, that are not Jewish, but you know, will help you, whatever. She wants to go back. And that's not negotiable. So that, that shows you something about Naomi, what kind of person she was. She was in a circumstance that was against her better judgment, but now that the opportunity presents itself to go back, she wants to go. Right? Also, the fact that means that now the economic situation not just is better, but will provide for the poor. Which when she left, it was like her own husband didn't want to do that, according to the right. judge, didn't want to provide for the poor. That is also a symptom of the spiritual decline, meaning the fact that her husband wasn't a person who wanted to do chesed with what he had. And we know the opposite is true with Boaz, who appears later in the story, that he's like very, very generous and very giving and about chesed. But there's more to it than that. Okay. So, um... No, go ahead. Want to read? No, no. Oh. Anybody want to? We don't have, we don't have we our have Dan, Levy. Dan Levy here. Oh, when when, when Adam Levy comes, he has to take over. Because he's right. never been with us. We'll just tell him that the new <laughs> member always reads. Oh, but as long as he doesn't listen to this recording, we can tell. <laughs> okay. Says, look, may Hashem do good with you like He has done uh, with the, those who died and with me. Now, notice she uses the name of Hashem also. Okay, I think it's really the you know the more time goes by in my own learning of Tanakh, the more I pay attention to those things, like both in the Chumash and also when in the Navi. When Hashem's name is used and which name is used and in what context. Yeah. The fact that she says that again Im- suggests, implies that there's, there's a devotion. framework, also a framework for that discussion. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if you notice, like when Lot says to his kids, oh, God is punishing the city. It's like, what, all of a sudden he became religious? All of a sudden, you're talking about doomsday no, and Sodom. Well, what would that happen? You know? I, I, I think Lod was better than maybe we, we think, but you know, I don't think it was that bad. He just was a very ineffective. Uh, he didn't he effectively kept, kept his views to himself. Kept his views to himself. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't effectively disseminate his views, not even to his own family. Yeah. So they, so when they, when he would express them, so they the would think like, "What are you talking about?" You know. So whereas here, you see that there's a, there is a. Uh, framework a framework of discussion that when she she uses it's almost the like her name, husband was holding her back 
could be that he was, as, as often happens in situations where you have uneven uh, religious commitment or contradictory religious commitment. One is sort of standing in the way of the other. So she obviously has spoken about Hashem with them, has they are people of, who have done chesed with her and have been kind to her, were kind to her sons, okay, who had good character, let's say. But she, and she blesses them with the name of God. So, you know, obviously that's something that she was, was not out of character for. Yiten Hashem lachem. So they're crying. Now this, you know, and again, she uses the name of Hashem again. The idea that God will guide you, God will be there for you, and uh, uh, and, and they're crying because you know they're they're separating from each other. But yeah, we will go with you to your people. Right? So what is that? What, 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 what is, that, the, is, that, is that less convincing with the... I'm trying to think in terms of the earlier discussion of the Machloket, Rashi, and Chazal, and even as Rabag about when the conversion was, whether at this point they're not identifying them as their right. nation. They're still looking at the Jewish nations as other people. Right. So, I mean, it kind of fits both ways. Either... Yeah. They, there was a sham conversion and they're kind of acknowledging that it was a sham or there was no conversion. And there's, right. there's I think you can read it both ways. I, yeah. I definitely think that my, my eyeball reading of it, my simple reading of it would like be more Rashi's way that you know, they weren't Jewish up till now and they were, it was intermarried before. Right. That would be my simple way of reading it. But it is, always, it is possible to read it the other way and, uh, and the fact that you know the indications they give from the text and all that, you know, also have to be weighed. But yeah, I think the simplest reading is probably the Rashi way. Um, in any case, she tells the the point is that she says, "Go," you know, they say, "Let us go to your people." Which, whether you say that they convert or not, there's definitely a disconnect because if you converted to Judaism, but your whole life was in Moab and the only Judaism you know is in the house of Naomi and Elimelech, it's like uh, it would be like somebody moving to I don't know. Up, like Alabama and uh, their daughter-in-law converts with some rabbi and becomes Jewish because and they're the only Jews for a thousand miles around you know it's like what is their Judaism really what is their connection they don't have a connection what is what is Naomi referencing when she says it seems like some kind of pre not pre-Torah I don't know some outside <coughs> of the Jewish idea of Yibum the idea that she, if she would be no, well, we didn't get to that yet, right? Yeah, well, well, but, but I thought we just read that. No, she didn't, we didn't read that yet. But Tomarna Naomi, Shovna binotai lama telachnaimi. Ha'od li Shovna binotai lechna ki zakandi miyod leish ki amarti yeshli tikva. Gam aiti alayla leish ve gam yalati banim. Alayhen te saberna adashi yigdalu alayhen te agena. That's from like like an aguna, right? Lebilti heyod leish al binotai. Oh, she likes like what Eli says. Al banan. Okay, so she's that's a tzidukadin, right? She's saying that she's saying my fate was um, it's very bitter because uh, the hand of Hashem was against me. I mean, the tragedy happened because of chay, right? So she's she's. it, it, she sees it as a. She's saying, "You don't. You know, my what's happened to me is a tragedy. I, uh, I was, um, 
all the you know all the death in her family. She realizes it as uh, God's punishment of her, and she's going back. And she's saying, "I don't have anything more to offer you. I can't offer you more husbands." That would have been a normal thing to happen. That meaning that they would have married. Meaning, in Mo- I don't know if that was a normal Moab. I'm saying this was a thing where you die and then you'd marry one of the brothers outside of. Well, it would be a yibum if they had been alive before. That's what I'm trying to understand. Naomi's saying it as if, as if, I I don't had this not been such a crazy suggestion, you would have done something like this. Right in the in the halachot of Yibum, it has to be uh, you can't have achiv shelo'ayah ba'olamu. Right, right. So it wouldn't work. Find the halachot of actual Yibum, wouldn't work. So what? Today's chapter. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, So so. And the Rambam Yomi is today's chapter. Oh, achiv shelo'ayah ba'olamu. So it wouldn't it wouldn't actually work. I, so I never read this as a literal thing. She's basically saying, if I had a child tonight, I figured first it. of all, I'm not Obviously. even married, and she's older, sensibly. So can I have more children? But if I, if I, if I have what, children, what do you have to get? Them? She's saying, what do you have to get? Yeah, I can wait for them. What, what do you have to get out of this? I have nothing to give you. Right, yeah. I have nothing to offer you of a future, and what is a future for a woman in biblical times? It's to be a wife and a mother. It's not to come with me and live as a homeless person. Right. You know? So what, what, what do I have to offer you? So she, I don't think of it as a literal type of a yibum, even though it's true that yibum does play a big part in this story, a type of yibum. Whatever happens with Boaz and 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 uh, and Ruth at the end, is she is she saying this from the perspective from I guess the more simple reading of just she's generally concerned for them and there's not much for them, or is she trying to dissuade them? The, the baggage that she has this. She's looking at this Moab as this failed thing and we should never have done this and look how much bad came to our family. And she doesn't want to come back to Eretz Yisrael with these two non-Jewish daughters. I'd rather them they... I don't think... I wouldn't... That that would be a... That would be a cynical way to to see it. Like, oh, she's worried about her reputation. she worried about herself? Not not reputation, but meaning... And when she comes back, she tells the people, don't call me Naomi, call me Marah. Marah, because it's... It's very bitter. So I mean, like she's she is the person who realizes what they did was a chay. That they instead of being instrumental in to try, committing to teshuvan, trying to bring the people back to a place where they could, right. uh, uh, you know, merit the they they abandoned their people, they assimilated, and now she's coming back. So she's she's um, taking that upon herself that judgment that sidukadin sort of uh, of uh, the judgment against her. And saying to them, like, practically speaking, I'm going back as part of my teshuvah. I'm going back because I abandoned my people, I abandoned God, and I'm, I'm returning. But what do you have to gain out of this? Is this you, have, you have no connection. You have, you have no reason to come. I'm just wondering from the back of her mind, if, if she, this Tzidu Khadim that you're saying, if she sees them as part of the problem, that she doesn't want to bring them back. Like, they are coming to this foreign land, this, our enemies, and getting entrenched here and dissociating with Am right. Israel getting married to them was the problem this is part of my teshuvah is letting go of these two it could be actually there's a word in the pasuk that right. sort of, sort of supports you, them but you know the outcome because she says no, she says is that, is ma'od ma'od mikem. Uh, the word mikem mikem is from you now that could mean this is more bitter for me than because, you right, because or, I have suffered such terrible things and you guys still have a future and I don't right. really have a future or it could be to because reveal, of you guys or it could be but that would be pretty right that would be kind of mean you're mean yeah you know <laughs> it doesn't right that's I why I would, I would not assume that's what she meant yeah, um, I would assume that she meant that 
you know, this is part of my process of teshuvah to return, but you have nothing to gain from it. I, I you know, so it's not in your best interest to come. Right. That's what it sounds like she's saying to them. It's not in your best interest to come. Well, you're going to follow me. Meaning, right. you're attached to me as a person, but I can't offer you anymore. I can't offer you children to marry. I can't offer you a future for yourself. And so, and, you, and you're not part of my people, so how are you going to, how are you going to be able to build for yourself a future? It's not in your interest to do it. I, I am going back. You are, you know, I'm returning because I realize that what happened to me was a judgment of God and I need to do Teshuvah. But she has to be right. That they weren't Jewish? They weren't Jewish. But that, this wouldn't make sense. There's no way for you to rationalize sending them back if they are now Jewish. That it wouldn't make sense. It'd be asur to do. So you're saying they wouldn't have do, done something. They wouldn't have done the isur to have gotten married to an Anju, but they're not going to do any isur of sending Jews back to Moab when, when it's not convenient for them. Is it a point? I said I, I agree. I, it's a simpler reading of the story. Can you look and see if it says any pirusha on that marmikem? If it gives one way or the other. Yeah. Let's say. Which pasuk uh, was it in? Yeah. Before right. that. You see the pasuk? That one. Here? No, no, we'd better. We'd give him. Oh, okay. Uh, Rashi Ben Ezra, what do you want to say? Yeah, what does Ibn Ezra say? Does he say about me, Kev? Nope. Let's see what other impression. Rashi doesn't have. The Kumara doesn't have anything about me, Kev. But how about uh, what has Mo Beam? Look at that one. You checked you check Ibn Ezra? Yeah. No real bug. No, I don't think he touches the name. Who's the Igeret Shmuel? Not sure. There's no more than that? Oh, wait, yeah, here he is. That's what he's saying. Minchat Shai? I never heard of any of these people. Minchat Shai, yeah, he does the Ktuk stuff. Why, does he say something? No. It's actually good. Minchachai is good, but it's good for me to do it. Oh, Torah Tzim Ma says something? How can Torah Tzim Ma say something? Who says that? Oh, yeah, he says that. Wow. Who is this? Torah Tzim Ma says that. Yeah, Torah Tzim Ma. Bishvilchem. It's the Sham going back to Babatah. Huh? Oh wow, it says that in the Gemara of Abba it does. Yeah, it's a view by night. Yeah, the Shem. The Shem, the Rebbe, the Rebbe, the Kama Hushlemar. Yeah, the Shem, Makat Tavar. Makat Tavar. Yan Al. Yan Al. Yan Al. Interesting, okay. So according to that, Kazal, she is blaming them. Not blaming them, they didn't choose it, but meaning, because they didn't do a hit actually, it wasn't their Meaning it's as a result of them. Meaning, I, like what you were saying before, I need to divest myself of you because this is the whole problem. The chet that happened happened because of the assimilation and I need to make a break with it. She's returning to her roots that she has to make a break with whatever connection she forged with Moab. Mm. I don't think I've ever noticed how sincere and well thought out Naomi's return was. I always just, without thinking, assumed, oh, she lost everything, she's coming back. 
I never read into this, that there was such a big recognition of what went wrong. Her, the Tishuva process was yeah. going back. Right. Interesting. Yeah. She realized that she needed to, to do this, and she sees part of her Tishuva as un, disconnecting herself un, you know, from, the, uh, fr- from Moab and it's everything that it represents. doesn't allow that to happen. Right. But it's, it's fascinating that, first of all, she processes what's going on in Israel from the lens of divine providence, and she processes what happened in her own circumstances from the lens of divine providence as well. Mm-hmm. And she's, uh, and even in her speaking to them, she's saying, God, you know, may Hashem bless you and all that, and wishing them to succeed in their framework, basically, right. that they should go and get married and have kids, which they're not going to be able to do in any w- foreseeable way at this time. Through right. her. Also, it was, right. it was through her. Were, like, crying, and it was like a big cry fest, but it seems to be just the daughters are crying. But is she stoic? It doesn't, I mean... But it's not so clear. No, it seems like they're all crying. Yeah, they're all crying. If you'd have asked me now, looking, I would have imagined it's so... Because even if she didn't feel that way, she had to cry to pretend. Right. She, she, would, she would pretend. She would say, "How am I coping with this right now?" <laughs> so, the uh, that, that's the. Um, but the, it's really interesting. Yes, when you see that Naomi, you, you start to develop an appreciation for Naomi as a, without you know, using an anachronistic term like a theologian of sorts. Meaning, she sees the picture, the divine picture here. She sees the divine picture of what's going on in Eretz Yisrael. She sees the divine picture in her own life that. As someone who disconnected from, who abandoned Amisrael, even though it wasn't her choice necessarily, but who went along with it and 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 do lived we, in Moab. Do we have to impute those, you know, that that outlook onto her by virtue of this being a book of Tanakh? Do we have to view it in that lens, through that lens? Which thing? Which she says it. That, the idea that she's she's looking at, at the the larger picture doesn't seem like a force. That doesn't seem like a force. Because like she she heard she at them all. And then it says that, which means that things were realigned in Israel. And she saw that she's saying the one that abandoning Am Yisrael and becoming part of the Moabite culture was a chet and it terrible things happened for me. Well for me. And I need to dislodge myself from here and return to the, to the right place. Even if it means living in a way that's economically disadvantaged, I want to go. And then they say, well, let us come along with you in a sort of social uh, offer of support. We want to go with you to help you. And she says, look, I have nothing to offer you. So thinking about you as creatures of God, because she uses God's name, and she says, may God be with you, and may God give you everything that you need. Meaning, like what we were talking about earlier, actually, actually, this ties in with your with your loving children uh, question. Does Naomi love her daughters-in-law? I would say yes, she does love them, because she's saying to them, in your framework of what a successful, meaningful life could be, what a life of actualizing your potential could be I have nothing to offer you so even though selfishly I could say yeah come with me and help me because I'm going to be alone and I'm going to be struggling okay I can't offer anything to you so I can't you know so as somebody who's looking out for your best interest as a creature of God as as you know as Nivraim uh, of God and that's why she uses Hashem's name and in in her blessing to them and everything that she says to them she's saying that from that perspective of, of true chesed, it's not a true chesed for me to bring you with me because that's denying you the ability to have a fulfilling life. I'm going to be putting you in a circumstance where you can't. And that wouldn't be a real chesed. That wouldn't really be caring for you. That would be caring just for me because I want your companionship and you know I don't want to be lonely and I need help. So I think that this is, you know, it gives you a sense of the perspective and character of Naomi as someone who is uh, 
not a not a, just an ordinary person. And I think that play, that thread runs itself through the book to to the end. Um, Ruth also obviously is a great person, and maybe in certain ways even greater, but. Naomi is the source of it because where does Ruth get her knowledge of Judaism? Where does Ruth get her sense that it's a that it's a that it's something she wants to do? Because she doesn't say to, what's the difference in, in, in Ruth's speech to what they originally said. Let us go to Leamich. Let us go to, with you to your people means to be there for you, to be a companion to you, to keep you company, to help you. But then Ruth says something different. She says no. I'm gonna, you know, wherever you go is where I'm gonna go. Wherever you say, your people um, is my yeah, people, no, yeah, right? Your name, right, right, and Eloi, your God is my God. Meaning, it's not that I'm she going with personal, you. Right. I'm not yeah, going with, with, you. with you. I'm with you. I'm. We're in the same boat. The same God that you're going back to, I want to go. It's not because I'm going for you. Right. I'm going for okay? me. Right. I'm going for myself. So don't tell me it's not in my best interest. I mean, you're telling me it's not in my best interest to come because I won't be able to have a good life. And you're going, but if you really care about me, let me go because I want this for myself. Because I want to be part of the nation of God. Not because I want to uh, get something. Not because I'm just there for you. That's the difference between the first uh, speech or offer of the daughters-in-law. Right? So, so, so okay. So then it says... Uh, again, oh, you write another crying fest. I forgot about that. They cry twice. This time, they cry even more. So she doesn't kiss them back. Right? Right, exactly. She's stoic. Now, mothers in law and daughters in law, they historically have a you know, complicated relationship. Even in Halakha, this is Even when there's no uh, Yeah, they're not allowed to testify to, around each other. It's, Even when there's no uh, husband or child left. Right, there's still, they're still attention. <laughs> so, um. Meaning attention has nothing to do with no, the, in, male, it's, the male. It's codified in Halakha literally. A, a mother in law, daughter in law, they can't testify against each other, uh, testify for each other, even. Uh, they can't, you know, uh, that the husband is dead because uh, maybe the mother in law just wants to screw it up and make it. You know, things like that. Uh, th- because then she won't be able to go back to the husband and then her son will be free. And... Right. In any case, the, uh, the, um, the, the language here, so Opa kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, basically. Says, okay, thank you for showing me the, giving me the, the permission to go. Now, I wouldn't take it in the worst, most cynical, bad way about Orpa either. Because basically Naomi is saying in a parental way, this is what's best for you. What's best for you in your framework. God is going to bless you in your framework. God, you know, I believe in, you know, th- that, uh, uh, that, you know, Hashem is going to bless you to succeed in your nation. Not, not, you don't have to go with me. And she's saying that out of seemingly a sincere desire to be concerned with their best interest. And at the same time, my interest is to do Teshuvah for my Chet and to return to my God and my people. A part of the Am Hashem, and but Ruth Davgaba, which is very interesting because the word lidbok or to stick is like is, is something that it is also used in the Torah with respect to Hashem, right? right? The only person that you stick to is Hashem. But what is it? What do the Chazal say about the Chiyafshal lidabek b'shchina? Is it possible lidabek b'shchina to attach to the shchina? Ela, what? To, right to the Talmidei Chachamim, right? That's what, right to the ones who know God. Right. So, meaning to Ruth, the person who really can be her mentor is Naomi. She's attached to her as her mentor, 
you know, and that's the and that's and so she tells her again. You should go back with your sister-in-law, whatever it is. And she says, so that's a that's saying, yeah, I'm gonna follow you, but I'm not following you for you. I'm following you because you're my mentor, because I look up to you, I wanna follow after you, I wanna imitate you, I want to like it says about the Talmud Chachamim, you're supposed to stick with them and hang out with them. The Rambam has it in Hilchot Deot, right? You're supposed to surround yourself with Talmud Chachamim uh, in order to learn from them, in order to emulate them, because you want to be like them, not because you want to help them, right? And and Ba'ashir Tamuti Amut V'Sham Ekaber Ko Yaseh Hashem Li B'Chol Yosef Ki Amavet Yafrid Ben Yovenich. Okay, so the the point is, she's not saying I want to go with you because you need companionship. She's not saying I want to go with you because I want to help you. She doesn't mention that. She says I want to follow you because your values, your God, your people are my people. Okay, I identify fully with who you are, and I want to continue to be with you, not because of you, because of me. This is what's best for me. She's saying I know what's best for me. This is what's best for me. Not going back. So that's the difference. In other words, Orpah wanted to go, maybe also genuinely, to, to, to help Naomi so she wouldn't be alone. They loved each other. They had a good relationship. They, you know, I, I, you can take a very charitable view of Orpah. You don't have to take a negative view of her. But the, basically, you're trying to help out your parents or your, you know, relative, older relative. And at some point, they say, look, you have to go. You have to go to school. You know, you have to go to work. Go. I want you to go. Go do your thing. Thank you. You did a lot for me. But you really have to go. You know? There's a limit, you know, and I appreciate what you did, but please go, you know, and you, you need to work, work, worry about your own life. Right. And Ruth is basically saying, and, and Orpah says, okay, I understand, I, I reached the gvul of what you needed, I escorted you this far, and you're telling me to go, and I respect you, and I'm going to go, right. and live my life now. And Ruth says, no, I have a new life, that, uh, that's not my life anymore, this is my life, this is who I am, this is what's best for me. It's a, it's a different, but where is she, where did she get her understanding of God, her understanding of Judaism? Obviously from Naomi, because she's right. the one is, who is the Rebbe in the story, so to speak. Right. She's the one who's talking about God. She's the one who's providing the perspective. Okay? So, um, she saw that she was insistent, to go with her. She didn't say anything else. You can't argue at a certain point. Meaning, she wasn't a tarot. She actually wanted. Right. She really wanted to go. She. It wasn't a. Uh, it was coming from within her. Mitametz also is a reflective verb. I mean, she was. She was strengthening herself. She was absolutely con- committed to going for her own reasons, right? For her own reasons. Now, of course, part of her. She's going to take care of Naomi and help her. That's not. But not because. That's not the whole reason she's going. Right? She's going for a higher reason. That's why she brings in. She doesn't say, I'm going because you did a lot for me and I want to do a lot for you. I want to help. I'm not going to leave you because uh, I care about you and I love you and you've done so much for me and I'm never going to forget your son. And some, something that somebody would say today. Right. Right? No, she says, I'm going for my own reasons, which is I want to continue to learn from you and I want to gl- grow closer to God because it's my God. It speaks a lot to Naomi that this was a stam, like a regular bat moav to get from like a Oh, she's not a regular Batmoav. She's the Bat of Eglon. Who, aside from being famous about spending a long time in the bathroom, <laughs> was also famous for another thing. 
Lot is the father of Lot. The reason why Lot is hanging out with Abraham is because his father died. Under his wing because Haran died. So he became his mentor. So all three of the sons actually Yeah, he brings like the whole idea of Toldot Terach into the back end because he he's actually. Child of all of them. So Terach the, the Terach was really the, was the, the hero of the right. It the seems Torah. like it's it seems like it no, seems it like Abraham Avinu. Well, I, I mentioned it in an Olad Maul article. I think I mentioned that he he obviously had was an open minded person who had different ideas, but didn't take it as far as Abraham. But was enough that he Opened moved the door out of he moved out of. Uh, uh, or Kasdim towards Canaan, he just didn't go all the way. Right, right. Meaning there was something in Terach that he he was he was skeptical of, you know, the the. So why is the Midrash being wanted to be an idol worshiper? No, because no, I think he was, he, was a, he was like he was like he a was big, right. Uh, he was a guy who said to Abraham, made, of course, he's the red string. He's 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 like our friend, the three piece suit guy. who's like in Mamash, remember? Yeah. That was funny. In Mamash. He was selling it. He's selling the red string. He's like, no, it's not for you. Yeah. So, but the people want it, right? So that's exactly what Terach, that is exactly what Terach said. It in Bazemamash, but the people want it. So why shouldn't I make the money on it? Yeah. I'm not going and telling them to believe in it. Oh, they want to buy it, okay. Okay, so the, so the point is, uh, he's like, look, Lifneiver, it's not my f- fault that they can buy it. You know, Lifneiver, they're, they're coming and buying it. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not making them do it. So the, the idea is that Abraham had the boldness of making a movement to, to get rid of Amudazwara. Terach probably didn't believe in it. He probably thought it was nonsense and he probably was a skeptic about it, let's say. He might have been one of those people that were around in the times of Abraham that were very skeptical and believed in one God. There were such people. It's just that they fought, followed along most of the time with what society did because they, they weren't going to take the, up the mantle of going and you know, doing what craziness of Abraham Avinu. So, so the uh, but the point is that that yeah the terach thing kind of kind of kind of loops back ba- loops back in the story, um, but yeah, Ruth must have gotten from somewhere a certain like uh, willingness to be open minded to what Naomi represented, and so she finds it attractive the idea of going with Naomi into a strange place. Who else did that? Rivka did that. Meaning when, when Eliezer comes get her, she goes and, 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 uh, and they say, let's ask the little girl if she wants to go, which obviously any normal girl is going to be like, I'm not going with some strange guy and a bunch of camels, you know, back to a strange place to marry another strange guy that I never met, even though it's my cousin. You know, that's not, I'm not going to do that. She doesn't say that. She's like, and she's only three, she's only and she's only three according to the Midrash. <laughs> and, and empowered to make her own decisions. Right. It's amazing. I wouldn't. You, you normally so wouldn't allow. You wouldn't allow to use. the three the three year old to decide what they're going to have for snack. Right. But they could decide where to go. When, because they're going to leave your family forever. Right. And they're like, can we wait a year? Or no. Ethiopian guy that. Uh, yeah. Syrian. The, the, the Syrian guy. No, yeah. Damascus. Right? Syrian guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not that that makes it any better. Right. Uh, but the, the the point is that uh, that you know in that case. And, and by the way, there's also a midrash there that I think we probably talked about before. The midrash that says that that the you know that interprets all the jewelry that she got from Eliezer as being you know the, the, the Ten Commandments, the Tzmidim or Asar Azahav, it's the Ten Commandments, the, and their chew to be the two luchot and the and the beka mishkalo is the machatita shekel. Right? right, that all these things are reminiscent of these are rimazim to the future things, and so why did the Chazal say that? Seemingly because the uh, because 
it mentions very emphatically that Lavan saw etatzmidim al yedechoto that he saw the money, uh, right? So you one might think that oh, Rivka wanted to go because she's like, oh, I'm going to be a princess. I got like all this cool jewelry and all this great, you know, bling. Mm-hmm. I think all that, right? I want to go. I want to go with this guy. So I was trying to say no. She saw something else. She did deeper, right? She saw something deeper. And, and, and therefore was attracted to the, the significance of building Am Yisrael in what she understood as that. You know, she understood what Avram was about. Probably every, you know, everyone in the family knew that the, what, what, he, what he was interested in, what he was doing. So she knew what It was probably what he, a Terach spring child. Yeah, uh, probably it was something they talked about at Shabbat dinner, but Terach would never actually do. Like many ideas that are crazy ideas are talked about by the previous generation. Oh, you know, one day you should do this. And then all of a sudden they actually do it. You know, the next generation doesn't. So, so Avram is, is a known quantity by that time. And, uh, and, and Eliezer is offering not just financial security, which of course the parents would care about, but something else, a different life, a life where the the belief in God and the lifestyle are, are actually commensurate instead of being sort of like a little bit cynical or out of sync with one another. And then this is a similar thing. It says that, you know, he asked her, what's the name of your uh, family? And also, uh, do you have a place to sleep? And she an- answers him and says, oh, but bituela nochi. And then she says, we also have a place to sleep. And then and Rashi says, because it's telling you that she ordered in the... It, Answering in the right order in Perkavod, it says is uh, you know it makes you it shows that you're a chacham, right? So meaning she's trying to say she's smart. She wasn't like right. just looking at the glitter of the jewels, and that that's the purpose of the midrash. So so in the same way, Ruth obviously is not looking for any glitter here, but she doesn't even say that I'm coming to help you or because I want to stay with you. She says your God is my God, your God is my people, and obviously she had some predisposition to being will, able to understand and identify with this message of Naomi, despite never having been in Israel and despite having, you know, every reason to stay, let's say, in, in Moab, you know, at least as much reason as, as Orpah would have, you know, because she's basically being sentenced to a life, as far as she knows, of no marriage, no future prospects, economic hardship. Why does she like her mother-in-law so much? Right. You know, it's like her mom is still alive because Naomi said, go back to your mom. You know, right, she wants to go with her, obviously, she's some, because... She's seeing something deeper. Right, she sees something more. And we can infer from the way that Naomi casts everything what kind of person Naomi was and how she saw the world. Right. She, they said, is this Naomi that we remember? You know, that she's back. Where have you been all these, all these years? You know, we haven't seen you in decades, that's it. It's very interesting that she uses the word Shaddai. Not a very common name in Tanakh used after Breshit. Usually only in Abraham. poetic. Right. Abraham and El Shaddai. You have El Shaddai, and then, uh, Yaakov, no? and then you have uh, in Hazinu, no? When Yaakov is at the. Where is Hazinu? Isn't it in Hazinu? <laughs> oh, it's also in the Brachot. Yeah, that's the Avot. I'm saying after the Avot. It's in Avot Yaakov, one of the spots that he put the Matzevan, Bet El. Yeah. El Shaddai came to me, appeared to me in this place. Yeah, it's in this week's Brachot. Oh, no, not this week, a couple of weeks ago, right? But that's in the Avot. The Avot always is the name El Shaddai. Because when Hashem speaks to Moshe, he says, 
that I appeared in Abraham, you know, to the Avod, El Shaddai, which doesn't mean that they uh, didn't know the name. It just means that that wasn't. I don't want to go into that right now, actually. But that will be a big tangent. Wow, <laughs> I'm trying to. So, to, Abraham, El Shaddai, Ruth, El Shaddai. Oh, wow. Go straight to Ruth. No, I think that there's other ones. I mean, I'm, I'm searching in uh, Safari. Goes from Abraham to Ruth. Hmm. That's a mistake. No, that can't be right, because it's definitely the Shaddai. I was just waiting out. 61%. Huh. I see the top right. Let's see. Why did I think that there was one? In poetic things, there's Shaddai. Sometimes I'm thinking also in Tehillim, there's Shaddai. There is. <laughs> That's different. That's different. Also came up for me. Only those two? Yeah. But it, it's not, it's today. Oh, wait, one it's sec. Today. Uh, just yeah. Right, it comes up in Tehillim and Shemot. Oh, we said those already. And also in in Eov. but you know, not usually in the in the in, in the Tanakh. It's not the usual term. So the point is, she's using a term that is uh, that goes back to um, is more evocative of the period of the Avot, right? The period of the uh, pre-Torah period, uh-huh. less related to the post-Torah period, more related to the pre-Torah. Period. It's used in 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 Eov, It's used in Tehillim. It's used in poetic uh, poetic texts. It's not really used very much in um, well, in uh, anywhere else. Did you ever thought of why? Why? She no, no. It? Do you? Mm-hmm. Such a hard left turn. But is David Hamelach and his family from Beit Lechem? Mm-hmm. So. It, Oh, so the first city that they settled in was Beit Lechem. They were from there. Stayed there until they were originally from Beit They were from Beit Lechem. Yeah, how do we know? Ephrata, he Beit Lechem. We said in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Meaning, and then up until David, so the family just stayed in the same city. Uh huh. Implying what? Maybe more believable that it wasn't. Oh, and then look, she says. Then, then in the next question, she says maybe there could have been a move, but if it's a few generations, I would assume they're probably in the same place. You're still stuck on a date thing. It has to be the end. Why is that name negative? Why is there negative Yeah, she's saying bad stuff. Yeah. Um, well, the first one says Vashem Anabi. That's also negative. And Rekha Hashem. Right. Anabi. Shaddai Ali. 
Interesting. Shaddai is not, the thing with Shaddai is it's not the name that's associated with the Mashgah um, Pratit. You know? It's usually the name of Hashem that's associated with Ashka Haklali. Right. That's not why Hashem says to Moshe Benu. Right. El Shaddai. Even when Moshe, when Yaakov sends the boys, El Shaddai, right, will be with you. Right? Isn't that, isn't that true? Doesn't he say El Shaddai will, will be with you? Do you have any development on the thoughts of the names? Rahel was telling me she's learning about different names. Yeah. It's really interesting for her. Like why? In, in, a, in a Tanakh context, not in like a mystical context. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are her classes are like that? Yeah, so, otherwise, you would like the school. Some of them are very... Uh, uh, I think... Some of them, it's harder to understand. Mm-hmm. Some of them, it's harder to understand. There are seven... Right? So you have you have you give up okay and Alaftal Nun Yur obviously. Yeah. So you have Shaddai, Sibaot, El, Elohim, and uh Shalom. What's the last one? No. Yeah. El it's there is do we do Eloha? Eloha. 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 Right. El Eloha Elohim. Shaddai Tibaot and the two Shemot that are Shemot. So each one of them obviously is signifying something different. Now that you have to put you came up in a different category, right? Even even Aleph Dalit Nun Yud, the Rambam usually treats it as if it were Shema Mufarash for halachic purposes. Like a stand-in, yeah, because we use it that way. Maybe I, I I'm not I I don't want to be committal on that, but uh, in in many halachic contexts, he basically equates them. You consider and Aleph Dalit Nun Yud. Is that just because we use them that way, or is that because there's something in Alta Adnunyud which means the same idea? I'm not sure. I'm going to leave that as a question mark. Question mark. I have a suspicion about it, but um, the. Uh, one second. Where is the story where he, where he says, Ve'el Shaddai? Uh, that's in this week's Parsha. Ve'el Shaddai, you know, I like Right. And then also he says, um, when he sends the brothers back to see Yosef, he says, "V'el Shaddai yiten lachem achamim lefnei haish, v'shilach lachem et achichem acher v'tim." So there's a lot of El Shaddai use in the. Well, the question is, what is that? I think. So, so generally speaking, El, what's the difference between your Kevavke and Elohim? Everyone says Rachamim versus Dim, but what's the... Your Kevavke is, the, so to speak, the proper name of God. Mean, means that he's beyond time. Right. Hayahu uh, Right. right? What, what the Rambam would call necessary existence, right, in the philosophical terms, meaning beyond anything and unlike anything else that exists, absolute existence is, that's, 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 that's why it's ineffable, you can't say it, we can't really right. conceive of it, and so on, that's like the proper name of God, it can never have a, uh, just like a proper name of a person can't have a uh, suffix or prefix or any other modification of it, it is what it is, right? So, and we don't even say it, and the coin gadol only says it, you know, on rare occasions and so on. So, um, 
So that's Yud Kevavke, we understand that. And Elohim, as by contrast with that, is of course the idea that God is the source of law and order in nature, the world. Master uh, of the forces. Right, yeah, all yeah. of the forces. Master Elohim, the multiple, right, the being multiple is, I mean, all of them. Everything. Right? Everything. Right? So then you have like a name like Tzevaot, which means that. Um, which means, but that's also. Um, it's also grandiose, like big. Tzava is an army or a legion, hosts, a right? Legion or hosts. So the question is, what is the Tzavaot referring to? Is it referring to the Tzavaot Hashemai, Tzavaot Hashemai, Tzavaot Aretz? Well, you know, Tzavaot Malachim, right? Everything that right. governs the world. I'm trying to yeah. give examples of when it comes up. Does it come up? It comes up. What Hashem Tzavaot? So in near Miao, or is it comes up in um, all over. In, in Shem- La- 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 Mishael. In Mishael, in Yirmiyahu, in Cheskel. Go alone, Hashem Tzavaot Shemok Kedoshim. But mostly there. Besides that, in Shmuel by Yitchanas Tzvila, and then it's all in Yirmiyahu Yechazkel. There's one in Yoshua, isn't there? In the end, when they go to see the people who built the Mizbeach, isn't it also in Tzvila? Maybe, yeah. Oh no, maybe it's not El Elohim Hashem, maybe not. Yeah, it seems like a later... um, And I wonder if that's... I I wonder if the Peshat of Tzvila is, is the God of the Heavens, really. I feel like that's probably what it is. I feel like that's probably what it is. God comes up in the Nivuah. And a lot of times, right, most often, Tzvaot is not used by itself. It's used with Hashem Tzvaot. So I feel like it's a... Because the people's focus of their Avodah Zarah or of their... You know, they would be looking at the stars and the planets and the constellations and doing their uh, doing their astrology and all this shtuyot. Uh, and so saying, Hashem Tzevaot is basically saying he is the one behind the motions of all of the heavenly bodies, you know, spheres, heavenly bodies. So that's why I think Shaddai, um, the way that the Chazal explains Shaddai is Shaddai, for, he is enough. He is the sustainer of creation. He's the one who sustains. That's how they say. He's enough. He provides. Provides and sustains. Right? Um, in which case it would be... In other words, all these names are within the realm of nature in one way or another, except for Yudkevavke. Yudkevavke is... Is... Is, uh, is there an... El means a force. Right? So it, it means the... When you say... You could use it also to be... Government. You know, Bnei Elim are the sons of the but powerful. How is the power? all different. That's a good question. Were they all the same idea? I think Elohim implies a multiplicity of forces that are under God's control, and El implies one. Uh, like Moshe ben Torah says uh, about Moshe and Aaron, who Yelachal. The Elohim. 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 Why not Elohim? 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 Why not
It's a good question. Those three names, El, Elohim, and Eloah, are similar, obviously. I, I, I always thought they all meant the same thing. We, the question is, is can you identify a pattern and why one is used versus the I, other one? I don't know enough times where Elohah is used in the Tanakh. I'm trying to think, when, when is Elohah used in the Tanakh? I mean, maybe Shayao, there's... It's used in poetic things in poetic stuff. Elohah called Briyat. Uh, in the in in uh, the Bachot and Bezara Bacha. In Eloha, right? I think it is, right? Isn't it there? Yeah. But it's Eloha Ikeda, it's not really Eloha. Oh no, and Hazino, it's Eloha. 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 Right, it's a force. El means a force. It's, it's a force. It's the one who is the, you know, who's the cause of, of the source of motion, the source of, of influence. Source of, it, it's a power. Elohim seems more to me, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be committal to it because I'm not sure, but I think Elohim seems more... Um, because in El- Elohim are also judges. Right. Right? The care of Elohim Mishpot. Right? So it has, it, it seems more to do with law and, orga- and order than with force. Whereas El has more to do with power. Right. Isha Elohim is someone that. El is someone who is, 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 is one who has power influence and power, whereas Elohim reflects oh. more the idea of the order. And the uh, and, and the system of, of law that let's say a judge represents, or the authority of the or like but Bereshit bara Elohim because he's the source of the law, and Vaidaber Elohim et kol in Asar that they brought. Elohim is more like the source of law and order, and El is more about force, not necessarily with reference to the law part. Whereas Elo, that's why judges are or you know or Benea Elohim et Benot Adam. It says it was the leaders. Right, the the Beneha Elohim are the leaders. Meaning, meaning Elohim connotes the ability to carry out these different actions. That he's the source of the he's the source of the policy, the source of the law. What is she saying? What? What Aleph Dalet Nun Yud? Why is Aleph Dalet Nun Yud the one that's always used as a substitute usually for Yud Kevav? Okay, that's the one question. Right? So it seems like, I would say, I would guess, so the difference is, and I, I, it's just a hunch, I, I not not developed the idea, but um, so Elohim is, is, it refers, I think, to some kind of a always is a reference to some kind of a system. There's some kind of a system involved, either it's a judge or something, it's law, it's order that is backed, is sourced in, in God, comes from God. Um, Adon is a superior being to one who is a subordinate, right? So it's correct. See, Yudke Vavke is a superior being. 
It's just that when you say Yud Kei Vavke, you're referring you're, you're, to God in, 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 in and of in, Himself. Right, in an absolute way. Right, not do. referring to me. And so that's really outside, completely outside of my purview. It's Yud Kei Vavke is like beyond my, my Tfisa. I can't, it's, it's, it's past me. It's in and of itself an absolute idea. Right. Right? Ab- above and beyond so, me. So I can't... So Adonai... is his essence, he and Adonai is, would be the way we refer right, to his he essence. He is superior to all other forms of existence. Uh-huh. It's not talking about the... So the, it's true that what is his superiority? Yudke Vavke. Right. Right? But right. well, when I'm saying Yudke Vavke, I'm saying... Something I'm saying it, and how I refer even to if, thing that's beyond Even me. without anything else existing is Yudke Vavke, meaning that is who he is. Uh-huh. Right? It happens to be that now that there are other existences, he's Adonai, meaning he's the superior existence to the other existences. Right. But that's, uh, so the reason why it's the same as Yudke Vavke is because it's referring to his superiority in and of itself, but it's referring to superiority relative to other beings. Because you can only have an Adon if there's a subordinate. Uh-huh. So you know what I'm saying? You can't have an Adon. Right, right. Uh, other cre- all creatures, all, all, all creatures. existence that gets its existence Not from something else, to which other is gods, everything. right? No, all existence is everything that exists gets its existence from something else. So, so that's right. right. Okay, so then, so that uh, would make sense why Aleph Dalad Nun Yud is a substitute for Yud Kevavke because Yud Kevavke is God's su- intrinsically superior existence because he is Yud Kevavke. He's Hayahu yeah. He's absolute and. But when you use the word Adonai, it's at least within our framework, as it's saying he's superior to us, right? right? So meaning it, it implies you still never conjugate it. You don't say, like, put a cha at the end of Adonai or any other modifier at right. the end. You don't ever, right? But so because it's still referring to, it's still substituting as a proper name, but you use it, it seems like, because... It's uh, because it's it refers like to the. Uh, it substitutes for because it's within our framework within of our framework. We, we can understand, understand the superior it. existence, right. even though we can't but understand. We're not going to breach the UK of K. What above exa- our realm of time? What, right. What that existence is, we can't really say. That's right. UK of K. But that it's a superior existence, we can say Adonai because it means superior to us. Right. right superior to our framework. Okay. Superior to our framework. I think that that's why it's used as as a. Uh, as a substitute, so so Elohim means source of law, and he said, and I've said this. I know I've mentioned this before. Probably half our recordings repeating what I said before. Um, that Yitro, uh, Yitro relates to God through Elohim. He he always talks about Elohim, and he says it says he brought Zvachim, Olot Uzvachim Lelohim. Which is the only place in the entire Tanakh where it talks about somebody bringing Olot to Elohim. Yeah, Olot to Elohim. So, uh, so, so the, it's, it's because his perception of God was through the justice that he saw in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That he originally questioned how could this be that God is favoring one people over another word. Another one, and then he said, "Ki Because then, when he understood that it was right. it was just, so then he says, "Oh, this is a true God who doesn't play favorites. He's a God of justice, right. and therefore he's he's related." He, he sees design in creation, right? So that's how he's that, able to see God. His services in design, like a scientist who sees right. God through the order. He doesn't reflect on the actually the source of that order is a being totally beyond the framework in which that order exists and uh, right. and, and can't really be conceived of he by mind. God in nature. He just, right, sort of like we're talking about a science. Right. scientist. But more than a scientist and that is worthy of worship. Yeah. Right, of course. But there are some scientists who do come to that 
kind of conclusion, whatever worship means. Right. Whatever it means to worship a God that we have no knowledge of. And, and the word El just means something that's It means above. a force. A force and El means a force, force that influences. Right, a, a force that influences. And then Eloha. So I'm not sure how different that is from El. I want to look at the, the uses of it. I don't know it. used. Yeah. Shaddai seems to be a sustainer. So you could have a Shaddai even without a Borei Olam. Right? You could have a Shaddai. Like Aristotle could say Shaddai, El Shaddai. Right. Meaning if Shaddai means what, what, um, what the Chazals say that it means, that it means the one who is sufficient, who is the sustainer. So that means not the one who... Uh, you know, the one who provides for and sustains his creatures, not just the one who creates order in nature, but the one who provides for and sustains his creatures. So then um, it would make sense why it has to do with the relationship between man and God. Of course, that providing for and sustaining would have to also include not just the spiritual, not just the physical, but also the spiritual needs. Like when, when Hashem speaks to Abraham and says, Ani el Shaddai, and I'm going to give you the mitzvah of Brit Milah. You know, so obviously there's a, uh, there's a sense that El Shaddai, or when, when, uh, when Yaakov says to the sons, may El Shaddai be with you and give you rachamim lifnei ha'ish, that's really Yosef, you know, that there's, there's an idea that El Shaddai is a source of rachamim. Or protection. Right, some kind of help, some kind of assistance. Not breaking laws of nature, meaning Yudke Vavke can be breaking the laws of nature because it refers to God outside of nature. El Shaddai doesn't really refer to a God outside of nature. It refers to the Rachamei Hashem within nature. That there are laws and principles by which nature is governed. And there's also chesed built into, the, built into God's managing of nature that enables people to, you know, flourish, let's say. And the, the chesed Rachamim that's built in. Um, and that would be the Shaddai, you know, the El Shaddai. The chesed side of the Elohim almost. We sound like Kabbalists now. Yeah. When we're picking apart which people use which names under which conditions, are we saying that the person himself used this phrase? Or are we saying that the person used a phrase and now the Tanakh is characterizing his conception yeah, one or the other of Borei Olam is more or less this. One or the other. Even if the phrase itself would have been completely lost on it. Yeah, I assume, like I always assume that whenever there's a discussion among people in Tanakh about Hashem, like if Moshe Rabbeinu is telling an idea about Hashem to Paro, he doesn't, didn't just say the one phrase that it says in the Torah and that was it. And then Paro was supposed to say, oh, okay, sure, I'll let them go. There must have been some kind of a discussion. Right. And they're speaking in ancient Egyptian, they're not... Yeah, there must have been some kind of a, of a discussion about it that isn't mentioned in the text. But, so, it, so in that case, so Shaddai here is, Hemar Shaddai li me'od would mean that I was deprived of the... Um, I was deprived of my needs. If Shaddai is the one who sustains. Right. Right? So it, that would seem... Bitterness versus pleasantness is pleasant means comfort, right? Bitter means that it's... That I, it's didn't, I didn't have what I needed. Right, I didn't have what I needed. It was, it, I was embittered. Right. And then... Hashem okay. It's not two different gods, obviously. Right? But that there's a... That, that within the framework of my needs, I was... Uh, right, so... Assuming Shaddai has to do with needs of human beings being taken care of benevolently by God. So I was not benevolently treated. I was treated 
I had bad fortune. We would say in uh, okay. in, yeah. in 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 English. But I had I, I was uh, I had bad fortune that made my life bitter. And Hashem, but bringing in the name of Hashem, Hashem Anabi, um, and. Uh, and, and that Hashem Reikam Heshivani Hashem implies that there's a hashkachik purpose to the suffering. That you know, in other words, because Yudke Vavke is always a, um, it has to do with people's relationship with God. As a, you know, as mm. from the beginning, from Bereshit, going all the way back to going all the way back to uh, Adam and Chava, the idea of Elohim transitioning to Hashem Elohim. That you have the idea of having a personal. Oh, consciousness and awareness and relationship with God is always signified by the name Hashem, and uh, and that that would be the um, what she's trying to say that I suffered these things that it was through natural means it was Shaddai Himarli it was Shaddai meaning it was through the the natural uh, the deprivation of the natural sustenance that I have but it was Vashem Anabi it was somehow Hashem it was in order to. Uh, he, you know, to uh, it had to do with my relationship with God. It was part of my relationship right. with God. This happened. Or do you get that from Hashem or from Shaddai? Because I would think that's more of a in, in relation to the word Shaddai. Like yeah. Shaddai is some kind of action that I did that caused the reaction by this being that's above me. Like Hashem, Yudke Vavke did what he does, did because he does what he does. But Shaddai is my involvement that I, I messed up and therefore got. Um, Retribution for that thing which I did wrong, mm-hmm. right? Well, she uses both names yeah. in that in the context, but generally, whenever you what when you have the name Hashem, it is a it's implying like what does it mean? Um, why is it that in the Breshit, for example, Adam and Chava in the first chapter of Breshit, when everyone thing is created, it uses the word Elohim only. Only the name Elohim, and then in the second chapter, when it talks about Adam and Chavat, starts saying Hashem Elohim, Hashem Elohim, Hashem Elohim, meaning that there's an idea of mankind being aware of God, knowing God, consciously living in accordance with God's will, not just as a uh, meaning as an abstract idea, because Elohim operates with or without our conscious awareness so does Shaddai meaning everything that God does within the realm of the physical we can recognize it or not recognize it but it operates it's happening the laws of nature are operating the Elohim system is causing your digestive tract so you're, to operate you're equating Shaddai to that I think that these are part of the same system I think that they're maybe focusing on different aspects of it one may be the law aspect one may be the needs like the way the Chazal are saying Shaddai is enough Meaning in the sustaining, in terms of sustaining life, sustaining, mm-hmm. uh, a sustaining force. So more of the, that aspect, but it's almost an extension of, um, because it's usually El Shaddai. Meaning it's really short for El Shaddai. He's the force that provides, the force that is there to provide. So that is there whether I'm conscious of it or not, or it's not there whether I'm conscious of it or not. But Hashem Yudke Vavke always implies an, a conscious awareness of the person. That there's some kind of an, a relationship that is actualized between the human being and, and God. That's what you see in Breshit especially. That the shift from Elohim to Hashem Elohim is when human beings become conscious of God uh-huh. and have an interaction with God. And mm-hmm. you know, and, and and relate to him, and we're going to see that in the book of Yonah also. That in the beginning, that that the the sailors and the people on the boat, the word that's used there is Hashem, 
because they actually become committed to God and bring korbanot, and it seems like they had a they became balei tishuvah and became you know de- devoted to God from the experience that they saw. It was a relationship with God, whereas in the case of Ninveh, it was Elohim only. Meaning they realized that their conduct was leading to destruction. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't that they then developed this abiding relationship with God that they, were, you know, that they were going to continue, that they were going to leave behind their interest in the practical things and serve God. It was that they, uh, they just realized that they had gone, gotten out of sync with nature, with God's general design and they wanted to they wanted to continue with the same values they had before but they didn't want God's wrath getting in the way that's a that's a, that's relating to God under the name Elohim God under the name Hashem means that there's something in this experience that's bringing me back to my relationship with God in and of itself uh-huh. you know I'd say this in this group but not in any larger group the names of Hashem they seem to be unclear we're still trying to flush out you know, what exactly they mean in which contexts. I feel like the downside of having different names is yeah, I agree. catastrophic. Right. It leads to biblical authorship and mm-hmm. biblical criticism. And belief in multiple gods. The benefits of it are at best, you know Or we just don't understand it. We're, we're still we're maybe just untapped potential that we Maybe if we would understand it better we would see how much maybe. more there is to And it's not like there's a lot of, you know, uh, Rabbinic text devoted to. That's a good point. Well, there's a lot of. What, what do you mean by rabbinic text? Non Kabbalistic. Oh. <laughs> no, because I mean there's a lot of stuff in the Rambam talks about the Shem Wat Hashem a lot. Not. Like yeah. in the Wait, movie. where? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, the idea is that we have. The problem is the same problem that you have in, in all of Torah and all of religion, really. And especially, uh, uh, you know, you, we're going to see it when we learn about Abu Dazarah. The problem is, how do you have, how do you have a meaningful conception of God when you're saying, by definition, that God is beyond your ability to conceive? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do that exactly? So you have to always keep in your mind a kind of a fact that whatever you're talking about is not really about God as he is because it's beyond our understanding but at the same time find a way to be able to relate to God that is not idol worship but you know I mean doesn't doesn't contradict the first part but you know it's such a hard balance it's a very very hard balance you don't want to contradict the first part you don't want to lose sight of the first part so how do you do that so the different Shemot of Hashem are are really supposed to Guide, you in, guide you in that meaning you're supposed to be able to identify different ways that God expresses his of the world and yet to recognize that they're all just systems and 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 sort of like explanatory framework ma- frameworks for us to understand in the physical world about God and I think that's part of the reason why that's what interge- like I hear what you're saying about the different authors and stuff that's another thing but like the fact is that the, the Tanakh mix and matches the mixes and matches the names. Like it'll put Hashem Elohim together. This one with that that. It'll mix them around to show that we're not really talking about two totally different beings. agencies or beings, but we're really talking about 
God revealing himself, or, or the, the best example of all is Moshe Rabbe, what Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Which they, they did have the name Yud Kevavke, because in many places it says Yud Kevavke, Hashem spoke to, uh, to Avraham, or Hashem spoke to Yitzchak, or Hashem spoke to Yaakov. It's not true that they only knew El Shaddai, but it says I wasn't known to them through El Shaddai, which means they never saw a manifest. I was only known to them through El Shaddai. I mean, because they only saw a manifestation of me in nature. They never saw a manifestation of me that demonstrated uh, in a concrete way that I'm, outside the, that I'm outside nature. Even though in theory they knew that. In theory they knew that God is actually not in this realm. God is actually outside this framework. But uh, we, never, we don't have to see evidence of that in the physical world to know that it's true. We just know that it's true from theory that the, obviously whatever caused the universe is outside of it. Right? Whereas if I'm understanding, so all they ever saw was El Shaddai or Elohim. They saw the order in nature. They saw the uh, God providing benevolently for his creatures and so on and so forth, but they never saw that. But in, once you see Nisim, like the Rambam says in many places, uh, and the Ramban also says, that once you see breaking of the laws of nature, that shows you that God's outside of it. He's not reducible to being the manager of the laws of nature, which is what, which the prob, one of the problems wow. with Abu Dazaram is identifying God as the just the explanation for nature. He's not a separate being. So Elohim could lend itself to that. If you only had the name Elohim, so then you're only going to know God as the source for the laws of nature, like a scientist would have. And inseparable from that. Or like Aristotle, that therefore the material universe and God are basically like the body and soul and or some studio like that, like uh, Spinoza. Yeah. So, so having God outside, so you need the names to identify different systems with which God operates in the world, while maintain so, but not making any one of those systems actually the totality of God. That's why you have an idea of the Shema Mefurash. The Shema Mefurash means there is a name that's beyond all this that you can't say. Meaning, don't think that whatever you can work out all the theories in the world about how God runs the world and try to understand the Darche Hashem, but none of those is actually Hashem. And that's actually one of the things that we talked about, uh, I think, when I was in New York. I think we talked about Malachim, why the idea of Malachim it plays a role. Because the idea of Malachim is that you might get the wrong idea that when I'm understanding uh, the theory of gravity, I'm understanding the formula behind uh, uh, something in science, I'm literally reading God's mind. This is like actually God's thought. He thought this idea in his brain, which he doesn't have. I'm saying, right? You're going to think like you're reading God's mind. Like what Einstein said, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing God's thoughts. That's what you're going to think. So the idea is, no, God actually created this system. It's not him, right? This system is the ideas that God created in order to point to the fact that he exists, but these ideas are not actually him. They're what allow us to see that all of this, and it's still not him, right? That's the the whole idea of the Mordechai. Is it's all to negate it. It's all negative knowledge. You see how great and grandiose and amazing and intricate everything is that God created, and yet all of that is still not him, right? That's that that that's the what makes it so hard because we want to find something in our framework to latch on to. Oh. The Torah is the mind of God. It is, you know, in some way. It's a, so the idea of having Malachim in between as a buffer is basically they are the source of the uh, of the uh, uh, the formulations that we see. 
God created the Malachim, meaning God created these systems of ideas in the mind that are the mind of the Malachim that you're that, that you're that you're seeing, but they're not He Himself. Otherwise, you would be literally reading the mind of God when you're reading formulas of science. So I think that's that's really the the um, and of course the Zohar like kind of what we should report. But you know, the, the, some of the let's just say some Kabbalistic literature very much lends, you know, sort of leans in that direction of like when you're reading the Torah, you're like scanning the mind of God, and and it's the same, and, and uh, you know the, that everything that we see in, in the Torah is, is basically a uh, you know, and, and it takes the different ideas about God's hashkacha and personifies them in such a way that it almost seems like they themselves are, are, are deities or even if you don't want to say that that God himself is reducible to the things that we can grasp and see where in, in you know a real like, like you know somebody like the Balata, the famous thing of the Balatanya that you know all of these things or even the Ramchal says all of these things are never about God anything you say about the Sefirah is not about God God is be, is the is beyond. We're never talking about him. So no matter what it sounds like we're doing, we're not talking about him. We're only talking about the spheroid, which are actually the way God runs and created the universe. The problem is that the discussion becomes so entrenched in those things that you that you might say that you're not really talking about God, but you don't you you, you lose that thread at some a certain point. It, it's, it, you know it's, it becomes it becomes obscured. And that's exactly what happened with the door Enosh that we're going to learn about in the Abod, when we talk about Abu Dazwa. That's exactly what happened. They were trying to find a way to help people relate to God by comparing God to a human king that you serve, you, you bow to the stars to honor the king. You need something that you can see and something that you can relate to in order to concretize your relationship with God. And of course, that Is ends this up the room becoming, that I use now. Yeah. Yeah. That that ends up becoming uh, you know undermining the undermining the enterprise of. of Keeping the concept of God clear. You're gonna go right up. We yeah. should go right outside of the well, uh, What time is our what's our schedule?